The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and bloom like the crocus. You may be seated. In the name of Jesus, amen. Dear saints, it's amazing to consider that the Bible begins with God building a garden and putting in the midst of it our father and our mother, Adam and Eve, giving them the whole of creation and joy in it. But we know that soon that joy, that peace, that comfort was lost as Adam and Eve ate from the fruit which the Lord had forbidden, and they were driven out, and this is the point we want to get here, they were driven out of the garden. Some of the, some of the most stunning images from, from ancient art are pictures of that very scene, Adam and Eve being driven out with their animal skin clothes, with their heads in their hands in shame, with the sword of the angel being driven out of the garden and into the wilderness. And that's the biblical contrast, the picture that's painted before us, and Isaiah is going to grab a hold of that image that there was a garden, but we are no longer in it. We are now living life in the wilderness. And that life is described by Isaiah in his preaching in this text as follows. We have weak hands. We have feeble knees. We have anxious hearts. We have blind eyes. We have deaf ears. We are lame and mute, weak and dying. In fact, when we just think of the wilderness, we should probably think of the 40 years that the Lord's people wandered in the wilderness between their rescue from Egypt and being brought into the promised land. And, and remember, it wasn't like that was a 40-year walk to get from Egypt to the promised land. It's not that far away, actually. It's about a 13-hour bus drive. <laughs> it's a short trip. But they were prevented from going into the promised land because of their lack of faith, and they were... They were sentenced to wander for 40 years in the wilderness while all of the people who were of military age who came out of Egypt until all of them died, over a million, something like 1.13 million people would have probably died in those 40 years wandering in the wilderness. And we realized what it was. It was a 40-year funeral procession. Eleven, I think I did the math one time, I should have done it again. Eleven, twelve funerals every day for 40 years. You can imagine the wilderness was just a trail of, of headstones, of graves in the sand. And you, and you get that sense not only from the 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, but just from reading the Bible in general. When, when you go and you start reading from the beginning in Genesis, and you, and you read along, and all of a sudden you get to these genealogies, and this is how it goes. They were born, and they lived, and they had some children, and then they died. And their children lived and were married and had children, and then they died, and they died, and they died. One after another, and so it goes with us, so it is with life in the wilderness. 
And I think we realize it even more at this time of year. Now, I've been asking, I don't know if this is a good idea or not, but I've been asking the shut-ins as I've been visiting the last couple of weeks, what was Christmas like when you were a kid? Oh, boy. Their faces light up as they remember going to their grandparents' house for Christmas services. As they remember coming into church, as they remember singing Silent Night in German. (laughs) Do you know, (laughs) this is the, Pastor, do you know how to sing it in German? No, I have to hang my head in shame. (laughs) They remember all the things lost, how things are different now, how they might not even get to see their children, how... How many people were there and how many of them are gone? Grandparents gone, parents gone, husband or wife gone, children gone. It is life in the wilderness. It's life in a graveyard. That's where we are. And for a specific purpose, too, we want to remember that there's graves all around us and that people all around us are dying and that we ourselves are dying for one very specific reason. It's because we're sinners. Death is not natural. Death is the punishment for sin. If you eat of it, you will surely die. The Lord warned Adam and Eve. The wages of sin is death, says St. Paul. But to weary pilgrims, walking through the wilderness of life, Isaiah stands up and preaches this sermon. The wilderness, he says, you can see it in your bulletin, the wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and bloom, blossom like a crocus. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it, the majesty of Carmel and Sharon, and they shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. Do you see that what Isaiah is preaching is that the kingdom of the Messiah, the kingdom of the coming Son of God, will be the restoration of the garden that was lost. He will bring us back in. He will strengthen the weak hands. He will make firm the feeble knees. He will say to those who have an anxious heart, Be strong, do not fear, behold your God comes. With vengeance, with recompense, He will come and save you. Then, he says, the eyes of the blind will be opened, and the ears of the deaf will be unstopped, and the lame will leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute will sing for joy. For waters, do you see the picture? Waters break forth in the wilderness, streams in the desert, the burning sand becomes a pool, the thirsty ground springs with waters, and the haunt of jackals, where they lie down, that grass will become reeds and rushes like a swamp. The garden is coming back. 
The garden is being restored. And it's being restored in your Jesus Christ. Isaiah in verse 8 shifts slightly with the picture, but not too much. But the idea is that this garden is so expansive that there's a city in the middle of it and there's a highway to get to it. And this is one of my favorite parts of the whole text. He says, a highway will be there, a road that will get you to the garden, and it shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean will not pass over it, It'll belong to those who walk on the way, that is, to the Christian. And then look at what it says. Even if they are fools, they will not go astray. Now, that's my favorite part. Because, because it's saying, do you see, it's saying that it's not going to be hard. You could be, you could, you could go out to drive and get lost going to the grocery store. <laughs> You could not know which way is up or down. You could not know how to navigate or read a map. It doesn't matter how foolish you are. This way will get you there. You do not have to be smart enough, wise enough, good enough. You do not have to be sharp enough or keen enough or righteous enough to get to this garden. You simply need to belong to Jesus and He will carry you. The ransomed, it says, of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing, and everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy and sorrow and sighing. The tears that were born in original sin and their groaning that marks life in this wilderness, look at what it says, these shall flee away. Dear saints, this is for us. I mean, as we, as we walk through this weary land, as we are on this funeral procession, as we are fighting under the weight of sin and death and sorrow and loneliness and anguish of heart, as we are being afflicted by the world and the flesh and the devil, your Lord Jesus comes to you and He says, I've got you. I've got you. And I'm carrying you through this life to the place of everlasting joy. That is joy that will never end. We, if you can imagine it, we are all headed back to the garden, to the resurrection of the body, and to the life everlasting with Jesus Christ our Lord. May God grant it for all of us, and may we, with the meal that the Lord Jesus sets before us tonight, may we taste a little foretaste of this eternal life. Amen. And the peace of God that passes all understanding, guard your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.